phone rang. He was an evangelist who had a full schedule and was deemed incredibly successful. He was highly sought after. If you wanted him to come and preach in your church, you had to wait for a minimum of four years. So you know it wasn't me. The numerous invitations were always a pull away from his family. But he and his wife had settled on a formula that had worked well and it enabled him to spend time at home with his bride and his son, whom he loved so much. And the formula was simple. He'd go out and preach for two weeks and then come home for two weeks. Go preach for two weeks and come home for two weeks. Everything seemed to work out well. God was really blessing. Uh, his marriage was strong. His boy was now a teenager doing well in school and athletics. And his ministry just took off like a rocket. Then the phone rang. It was a very, very short phone call from his wife. She had just had the latest in the series of arguments with their 16-year-old son. She had asked him to do something, and he told her point blank, I'm not doing it. So she called her husband in a fairly short conversation. His, her six-foot-two boy was wearing her down. His strong will was taking a toll in her life. And she told, called her husband, and she just simply said, I need you. He replied that he would cancel the remaining meetings and drive home immediately. Neither one of them knew that in the other room, their son was listening. The teenager knew he was pushing the limits, and he was curious to see how was dad going to respond. Well, he'd soon find out. His father arrived home within a few days, put a for sale sign in the front yard, and canceled every single one of his scheduled meetings for the next four years and accepted the pastorate of a very small church in another state. For the next two years until his son graduated from high school, went to college, he pastored that small church and mentored and discipled his young son. With his son headed off to college, he was now ready to return to what he was passionate about, and that was evangelism. But in those few years, multiple changes had taken place in that church's denomination. Many of the older pastor had, pastors had retired and been replaced by younger men who were unfamiliar with his ministry. So invitations were less frequent. Those few years away from evangelism had cost him dearly in terms of career and calling. Quite frankly, to a degree, he would never recover again. The decision to go home had come at a great price. But because he made the tough decision and went home to focus on his family, years later, his son began a ministry known as just that, Focus on the Family. And today, Dr. James Dobson has impacted the hearts, minds, and lives of countless individuals. But it's all because he had a dad who realized how much his son needed him. His dad was either going to risk career or losing his son. And he made a choice. This morning, I want to talk for a brief time on two things that dictate our future. God, we love you, and we are so grateful for everything we felt and experienced here today. Lord Jesus, I know that people have plans for this day, and as we honor fathers and important role models in our lives, but Lord, let our hearts and minds be open for just this short time as we dive into the Word just for a little bit here today. God, that you'd speak to us in a mighty way, and that we would respond to what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus Christ is known as the King of Kings. And now we in American uh, citizens, for us here today, we're not, we're not really as familiar with kings as we are presidents. 
Maybe because our history of breaking free from England and the kings of Europe, maybe we got a resistance to kings, I don't know. But uh, when you study American history, you don't get kings, you get presidents. But when you study the Bible, you don't get presidents, you get kings. But other than a few of the big hitters, we really don't know too much about the kings of the Bible. In some ways, I guess it's a little bit like our presidents, okay? So I, I, I show, do you know who this guy is? George Washington, all right? If you don't know who this guy is, you need to go back to school. How about this next guy? Anybody know that guy? Abraham Lincoln. So we know that guy. So we, so we got these. How about this next guy? Come on, someone. Who is this guy? Someone's got to know American history. I haven't heard it yet. There's not one person. Somebody comment on Facebook. Come on, somebody on Facebook. They got to know this. They got to comment, right? That is the 12th president of the United States. His name is Zachary Taylor. And everybody looked at each other and said, I was way off. How about the 14th president of the United States? I thought I, oh, who said it? Woo, we got a winner. You win a second pair, you win a pair of socks. Somebody get that man a pair of socks if we got some extra ones. There we go. Matt just won a pair of socks. There we go. Yes, awesome. See, we know Washington, Lincoln, but after that, things get a little bit murky. You know, we're like, uh, that, uh, yeah, uh, uh, so we start guessing the other six presidents we know. Interestingly enough, there were 43 kings of Judah and Israel in the Old Testament. Their lives, their decisions, their behaviors, they would make up almost two-thirds of the Old Testament. But outside of David's shameful affair with Bathsheba, we heard about that from Brother Ruiz and HBO. I'll never forget that as long as I'm alive. Wow. Wow. Solomon's 700 wives and concubines, and many of us, after that, we don't know next to nothing about these kings. We might know they had lots of weird names, messed up a lot, but then we studied them, and it wasn't just them who messed up. We move on, and, and that's disturbing enough in itself, but then we start to read about, it wasn't just the kings, but then their children, and, and their children's children, and, and then even the ones who did serve God had children that were super messed up. And you're going, how does that happen? How does that godly man raise a child that did that. If we study their lives and choices, I think we can learn a lot from them. God, he apparently had their stories in the Bible for a reason. Think about this. With the exception of Job, every book, process this with me, from the eighth chapter of 1 Samuel until the end of the Old Testament is either about kings written by a king, remember that, remembering the judgment that came on a nation because of the kings or the actual judgments of the prophets spoken during the time of the kings. Kings are pretty important. But go back even before all the kings because the first king is, we want to be like everybody else. We want King Saul to be our king. Rewind before that. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. 
It's written by Moses just as the Israelites are about to cross over over Jordan into Canaan. And Deuteronomy contains all God's instructions for his people as they're about to enter. Hey, you guys came out of Egypt. You've been in bondage for 430 years. You got the law now. Now let me give you a whole bunch of instructions because you're getting ready to go into your land of promise. I've always had this plan for you. And so in Deuteronomy 17, God gives a list of instructions for Israelite kings. Well, that's kind of intriguing that he would have a list of instructions for Israelite kings because they had never even had a king yet. It's almost like the Lord was preparing the nation because he knew what was on the horizon. How many of you know God knows what's on your horizon? So God had Moses. He says, write down a list of all of the things as guidance for kings. And take a look at this list. Deuteronomy 17, 14. He says, you're about to enter the land your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king that should rule over us like other nations. Boy, did he call that one. If this happens, be sure to select. Why? Because God, that was not God's will, I don't believe, but God knows that he gave you your own will. In the New Testament, we read about this, oh, Moses allowed divorce, and Jesus says, yeah, that's because you and your hard hearts, that was not his plan, but he was going to give guidelines because he knew that was in your heart anyway. So here he says, he says, you know what? I might not approve the kings, but if you're going to choose a king, this is what you need to look at. He says, appoint a fellow Israelite, not a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself, send his people to Egypt to buy horses, for the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they'll turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself the body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he'll learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of the instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he's above fellow citizens. It will prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. It'll ensure he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. I think just based on that passage alone, we know why the kings fell. I wish Solomon would have read that. Don't marry a ton of wives, man. They're going to turn your heart from God. Well, I'm only at 700. Wives and concubines. The kings who walked away from God, I would argue that they didn't just miss one of these things. They missed multiple off this list. When you break it down, he says... Got to be a children of Israel. Don't build up a ton of personal wealth and possessions for yourself. Don't take multiple wives for himself. It'll turn you away from God. Copy the word of God. Read the word of God every single day. That last verse is just saying, hey, if you do these things, your life ain't only going to be right, but all your descendants are going to be in line with this. But here's something important to know. Before Deuteronomy 17, we have Deuteronomy 6. I'm deep this morning, right? 6 comes before 17. So back up even more. Before Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 was not written to kings. It was written to 
every single man. If you're here today and you didn't stand, you're not a father, well, guess what? This doesn't matter. It wasn't written just for, 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 for fathers or kings. It was written to every single man. And I would argue that at that writing, unfortunately, women, they, they weren't lear- in the place of learning like men were. But now, of course, we know that, 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 that this is a different time, that women and men both are learning, both stepping into leadership, both doing things. And so this is applicable to every man, woman, and child. But this was written to fathers, leaders, kings, every single man. It was really a job description for fathers. Anyone ever get a job description when you, start at, when you started at your job? Raise your hand if you got a job description, all right? And the rest of you, you're still trying to figure out what you're supposed to do every day, right? But that job description, sometimes that scares you. You look at that and you're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know. must be proficient in that. I've never even used that. Ah. Then, of course, you start your job and things get added to that list that weren't on lists. Don't even say anything, Abigail, okay? I felt that spirit over here. Our church secretary. I might have forgot a few things off the list when I hired her. But multiple people, well, if, if Every single man was given from the Lord a job description. And right before God gives that in Deuteronomy 6, look at how Deuteronomy 5 ends. His last two verses of Deuteronomy 5 says, So Moses told the people, you must be careful. If God is speaking and telling us to be careful, I think we need to tune in. You must be careful to obey all the commands of your Lord, your God, following his instructions in every detail. We learn about that in Noah, in the boat, in Abraham, circumcision, the tabernacle, through whole, the whole Bible, and even today in the 21st century, obey God in every detail. He says, stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you'll live long and prosperous in the land you're about to enter and occupy. If God is calling us to something, I want us to live long and prosperous. But that is intertwined with obey every detail and stay on the path. So before he gives out job descriptions, his expectation, he first says, you want to live long and prosper? He says, doesn't somebody say that in the movie or something? Live long and prosper? Sounds very familiar. I hear people chuckling, so I know that. But, and if you are to do these things, I'm getting ready to tell you, not only will you prosper and live long, but look what God says just before that, Deuteronomy 5.29. It says, oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. We don't read about descendants prospering forever in the Old Testament because they did not have a heart like this. He says, you want to live long and prosper forever? Your descendants live long and prosper forever? Do what I'm telling you to do. Following these principles, just as men, as leaders, would impact the future generations of families. Your future will be determined by your response to this job description. And then he gives it. And Deuteronomy 6, 4 starts off and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shall talk of them when thou sittest in the house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up all the time. In this passage, God really just breaks it down to two things. Us men, we do not like, I'm sure women don't like it either, but we're talking about men today, okay? Us men, we don't like to walk through the door and say, hey, I got some issues I need to talk to you about. Actually, there's 17 of them. We're kind of like, ah. But even us guys can handle two things. He's like, listen, let me just break it down. Two things you need to focus on. Number one, verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. That's job number one. If you are a gentleman, well, anybody, but I'm focusing on guys today. Love God with everything you have. This verse is basically a call to love God with our entire being, wholehearted love, a love that's not reserved. I just referenced it, not, not holding anything back. When we love God like that, his commands matter to us. Being in the house of God matters to us. Giving of ourselves matters to us. At one point, Jesus succinctly says in John 14, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's that easy. If you love me, let me see it. If we're going to love God with our whole being, then our entire lives should reflect that love. God didn't want fathers to obey just because of duty. God didn't want, he, he wanted them to obey because you know why? Because I love you, Jesus, and I want every part of my life to reflect who you are in my life. And guess what? Kids can tell the difference. The two things that I've found that, that just can always tell the difference are dogs and children. <laughs> if you come to my house and my dog's hair stands up on the back of her head and she don't like you, I'm going to be keeping my eye on you. I can tell you stories through the years. Now everybody here is nervous. They're like, yes, did his dog like me when I came over? <laughs> <laughs> they know when dad is doing something because it's a duty. Or when dad is doing something because he loves it. Then he gives part two of the commandment. He says, love them with everything you have. And teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you're sitting in the house, walking by the way, lying down, rising up. Job two. Teach our children diligently. Fathers weren't not just called to go make a living, have fun, work hard, leave the wife at home to handle the kids. People often say that was the mindset of biblical times, but when you read something like this, it was written to men to be engaged in teaching and training their children. It was not, oh, I don't follow the Bible times because back then women just sat in the house, took care of the kids, and men went out and worked. No, men were called to have an active role in the home, to train, to teach. My wife, you know, see, she talked about this on Mother's Day, but fathers were called to be present and engaged in the lives of their children. They were called to be intentional. And what she talked about, I'm going to hit it briefly again and move on. When we are intentional about getting our kids on athletic teams but not to camp, quizzing, or children's services, we're failing as parents. 
you know, I, I didn't think I'd get a great response there, but it needed to be said anyway. When we ourselves are getting to events and outings, but we're not getting to church regularly, serving in ministry, and having our kids see us worshiping. We're raising our children that to view godly things as optional. They're kind of on the same priority level as traveling, sports, and school. There's nothing wrong with travel, education, schooling, vacation, engaging in physical exercising, or joining a team. But what was God's command in this passage? It was, hey, two things I give you. Love me with everything you have and teach your children who he is, who he is, and how to love and serve him with all we have. So what are we teaching our children? Dare I even say this? And I am so thankful. I was downstairs teaching discipleship on Wednesday night. So I can say this with a clear conscience, and none of you can get mad. Well, yeah, you can. Actually, I take that back. People can get mad at me over anything they want. It's your choice. But really, you'd have no right to be mad at me because I wasn't even up here on Wednesday. But I'll say this. What have I taught my kids with my actions and choices this past week? What have you taught your children over the past seven days? If I was not here for service this past Wednesday night, what did I teach my children? I just taught my child Wednesday night is an optional service to attend. If I took them to a game, but not to Sunday school, what did I just teach my children? The Lord knew that the long-term health and success of his people would be built on the family unit. That's why I say all the time, strong churches are built on strong families. I have Bible for this. Because God knew, hey, you're getting ready to go into a land of promise. I have plans for my people. But before we enter the land of promise, let me just get you something here. Stay on the straight and narrow. And what I'm about to give you in a job description is two key things. Love me with everything you have and teach your children to do the exact same thing. Love me with everything you have and teach my children to teach your children to do the, that, the exact same thing. He knew that the success of my people, of my nation, of my calling, of my plan for my people, he knew it was all going to be built on the family unit. On the family unit. And so that's why before he goes into specifics, he says at the end of chapter 5, if they did it, their descendants would live forever. They and their descendants would live forever. Long-term success is not raising a professional athlete. Not having a fully funded 401k. Not climbing the corporate ladder, traveling to all 50 states, getting your child the best education money can buy. But educating our children on what is eternal, what is lasting, 
Picture an Israelite father at the time that this was written. If God's words were really on his heart, he'd be thinking about them throughout the course of the day. It would be natural to talk to his sons while they would be digging a, a ditch or digging a well or, or, or milking the goats. He would sit there and talk to them about God as the course of the day went on. But if God was the center of his life, his son couldn't miss it. Every conversation, every interaction, he would hear about Jesus. He would hear about that God is the God, Yahweh, Jehovah. He would hear these things as he was just working throughout the day. After all, Scripture does say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's no way we can tell our kids how much we love Jesus and then never talk to them about him. No, no, I love Jesus. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, yeah. But if, if we really love Jesus, then as we live life at the dinner table, waking up in the morning, going to bed at night, that's what Deuteronomy is talking about. If you love me with everything you have, then teach your kids to do the same. So our kids will know how much we love the Lord just based on what comes out of us. In the course of daily life, God called Israelite fathers to instruct their children as they were with them. This is some of the earliest discipleship that we read about in the Word of God. Discipleship doesn't happen from a pulpit. It happens when we do life together. And the greatest disciples that we're going to make are our own children and family members. And God called Old Testament kings to also teach their sons in this same manner. How Israel and Judah's history could have been so different if they would have just followed, if the kings would have just followed God's commands to them first, even as dads before kings. When we live daily life, go through daily circumstances, respond to daily trials, our kids should hear and see Jesus in all we do. When's the last time... You asked your child, hey, what do you think is most important to daddy? I got a challenge for you today. You're going to go grab food after this. I doubt anybody's fasting on Father's Day. You're going to go grab food. And for most guys, there's probably going to be some meat in there. Thought I'd get more amens on that part. You can go grab some food. Look at your child, no matter their age. Now, granted, if they're two, you might get some crazy answers. But just say, hey, what's most important to dad? What do you guys think is most important to daddy? Don't defend yourself. Don't make arguments. Just hear what they say. That'll kind of give you a barometer on where you're at. Children aren't an interruption from ministry. They are our first ministry. That's why yesterday on the way home, I'm going, oh, man, it's hard. I, I hate leaving on Sundays. I do not like missing being in church on Sundays. But they moved the quizzing because of Youth Congress. So Bible Quiz Nationals actually starts on a Saturday and goes through the following Thursday. So, Jackie, my wife's asking, are you going to run back for service on Thursday? Because the quizzing actually starts on Saturday and the service, and then there's quizzing on Sunday. And I said, man, there ain't no way. I am not missing my children at Nationals because the ministry of the church means so much to me. But my children mean more. 
That's my first discipleship right here. So I won't be here that Sunday because I'm going to be in Branson. Being the two of both of them said, I'm, a, I'm the best cheer, okay? <laughs> I'm not winning no coaches of the year, but I jump around and pump my fist and do whatever I can. You know why we sometimes fail in training our children about Jesus? Too many will take, and I'm not going to be much longer, but too many will take the message and they'll try to fix the problem with the second commandment rather than the first. You know what? I feel bad. Pastor preached that message. I need to teach my children diligently. I need to try and focus more and read them more bedtime stories. And I need to try and try and get them here. And if I, maybe if I could get them over there next next Wednesday. Oh man, he he really got on me about Wednesday night. And and uh, I didn't look at the attendance. I don't know. I don't have a clue. But he got, so I need to try and get there on Wednesday, and I need to try and get there on Sunday, and I need to try and, and we can say all these things, but do you know what? When you start trying to fix command number two before command number one, it will not work. Maybe, maybe one month tops, that'll work. But do you know what the real issue is? It's not, oh, I got to work harder at teaching my kids diligently. It's, I need to go back and look in my own heart. Command number one, am I in love with Jesus Christ? Where's my heart? Because it's not just I need to go because he backed me over the head today. It's I want to go because I love Jesus and I want to be in his presence with people of like precious faith anytime that I can. And so I want to get in the presence of God. It's about, if I'm struggling to talk to my kids about Jesus, it's not because I have to build in Bible story time. Maybe, maybe I'm not talking to my kids about Jesus because I'm not in love with Jesus myself. Something we all got to think about, right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth reveals what's inside. So it's not about, oh, I just got to try and focus on talking to them about Jesus. I got to go to the root of the problem and say, man, well, why am I not talking about Jesus? Maybe like Paul tells Timothy, I need to fan again the flame, stir up the gift that's in me. And I need to find an altar here in just a minute and just say, God, you have given me one of the greatest responsibilities in the history of humankind. I've been blessed to serve the district, to serve as your pastor. These are all great things. But the greatest blessing and responsibility that God has entrusted to my care is three lives. That he said, make disciples, starting there. And so I want to make sure because just because I'm preaching this doesn't mean, oh, I got this all done. And I'm talking to you guys about this. No, I, I see stuff in me too that I go, oh, oh, God help me. I want to examine my heart. I want to make sure that I am in love with you, Jesus. I want to make sure that I am radiating that, that the, the love of Christ 
See, these were the commands for every man in Israel, and I think every person, it still pertains today. There's no new and improved version, no 21st century revised version. They were perfect back then, and they're perfect yet today. Most men, they'll get up and go out the door and go to work. Men don't really milk goats and dig wells anymore. Man, that sounds like hard work. But you know what? We get out the car and go, go to work. And back then, some were elevated to kingship, so they weren't milking goats and digging wells either. But that doesn't change the call that God had for all of us to do the same two things. Love God with everything you have. And teach your children to do the same. These are the two things that dictate our future. I know this is a challenging message this morning. But it's one that I think we got to hear. It's one that causes us to pause everything and stop before we leave for lunch. And find an altar and say, God, I want to be the man you want me to be. I want to be the dad you want me to be. And for some of us, maybe it's like, ow, I stepped on my toe, man. I, I, I'm only doing it because I feel like this is what God told me to say. And so you can find a place, and instead of saying, well, that's just ridiculous. Well, this is my situation. Well, that's, let's just, you, you take what you can take from it. And just say, God, what are you speaking to my heart? What are you speaking to me today? After David, as I close, you can stand to your feet. After David, Solomon, and Rehoboam, there were 40 more kings in Israel and Judah in the Old Testament. A group that stretches more than 300 years. And out of those 40 kings... Do you know how many were considered good according to the Bible? Eight. Eight. How does that happen? How does that happen? I think the two greatest errors of the Old Testament were king were uh, Old Testament kings were these. They built kingdoms instead of children. The wisest man to ever live was probably the richest man to ever live. Probably left his children more than any one of us could ever leave if we all combined our assets today. But he didn't leave him something that is eternal. They shared too much of their heart with other things so they were unable to love him wholeheartedly. Solomon would have people come and visit. And some of these kings would have, Isaiah was just reading, they had kings come and visit. So I think it was Hezekiah. Oh, look at all my wealth. Look at the weapons. Look at the, look at the, look at the big buildings. Look at, look at all the armory. Look at all the things that I have. This is amazing. People came from all over the place. 
to see the wealth of Israel. But what made Israel most successful was not the armory. It wasn't the structure of the temple or the palace. It wasn't the gold or the silver. It wasn't the plates that they ate off of. It wasn't all the things that they and sometimes we get consumed with. The success came when a man or a woman would lead the way and say, go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 6 and let's remember something. We've got to love God with everything that we have before anything else. We've got to be in love with the creator of the universe. And secondly... I got to teach somehow my children to do the same. I don't want to just be going every day and traveling and working and climbing the corporate ladder and saying, hey, I don't want to hear it. I'm providing you with a good living. You're going to have an amazing retirement because I don't want to miss the fact that there's some mornings that I got to wake up and be at home so that when my kids wake up, they hear about Jesus. So that when my kids wake up, I can wrap my arms around them and say, God, I thank you for this day right now. Lord, thank you for my children. Lord, let us honor you today with our our lives, Jesus. And we begin to pray with our children in the morning. Pray with our children in the evening. What am I glorying in? Could it be that Jeremiah had Deuteronomy in mind when he wrote in Jeremiah 9.23? This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their wisdom. There's no doubt in my mind that Jeremiah was writing about the king's. And he says, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand. I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. So today, folks, as you begin to find a place to pray, I ask you this question. What are you glorying in? What are you glorying in? Is it the certificate of education? Is it the 401k? Is it the job? Is it the power? What are you glorying? in? What do our children see us glorying in when they look at dad? What do they see him glorying in? Why? Because like Dr. Dobson's father, we will now make choices that will impact both our own lives and the lives of our children. So I don't know about you, but I want to choose wisely. I know that my children are watching me. And so this morning, I'm going to walk off this platform, not as a pastor or a preacher, but I walk off this platform as a dad to pray with my kids because they look and they see. And I know that I speak a message to them with my life every single day with what I glory in.